Welcome to From a Woman to a Leader, a podcast dedicated to discussing the challenges and providing tips for women in tech leadership. Hi, I'm your host, Limor Bergman-Gross, and in each episode, we'll hear from other successful women in tech, sharing their stories, insights, and advice. Join us as we empower each other to reach our full potential in the tech industry. everyone and welcome to another episode of From a Woman to a Leader. And today we are going to talk about elevating your voice in the tech industry, unleashing authentic leadership. And I have a pleasure to talk with Lori Smith today. And Lori is an intuitive public speaking and leadership coach. She helped visionaries on a soul-driven mission to stand in their power, speak their truth and lead. And Lori is the CVO, Caring Visionary Officer of Voice Matters and the author of Your Voice Matters, a guide to speaking soulfully when it counts. Her mission is to call forth more open-hearted leaders so they can do their part to change the world with authenticity, creativity, and courage. Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and feel free to, I mean, you have such an impressive background, so probably I didn't want to kind of say everything, but if there's something I missed, something important, please, by all means, I'll be happy for you to fill any gaps that are important. Yeah, no, I think I think you got it covered, at least in terms of introduction type things. <laughs> all right, all right. So yeah. we're going to talk about today on basically on, on public speaking, on authentic voice and soul-driven mission. I'm just excited to hear what it means, you know. Uh, But before we do that, can you share your journey and what led you to become an intuitive public speaking and leadership coach? Yes, it's it's been a lifelong journey to get there. And I think some of the key moments, uh, first, when I was about seven years old, I got led to acting and theater because my mother found me playing make-believe in the backyard by myself. I had been playing with some friends and being kids, they got bored and they were like, okay, we're going to the pool. And I wanted to stay there and finish the story. And my mother took me to an acting class. And that's what I call my first spiritual zone. It was, there's a, there's a light side and a dark side to the theater. And in the light side of the theater, actors in particular are really able to be deeply present with other people and connected and creative in a way that most of the rest of the world isn't or wasn't. It's a safe space to show up that way when you're in the light side of theater. And then about 20 years later, I was working as an executive assistant during the day and doing theater as an actor and a director and a writer at night. Mm -hmm. And um, I had an experience in my favorite acting class ever that was one of the biggest moments that led to what I do today and how I do it today. It was an exercise in the acting class where everyone was focused on me. Normally it was like you and one to three other people. So the attention was sort of divided. Mm -hmm. and. 
during the exercise, he paused the exercise, my instructor, Richard side and said, you keep like resetting yourself or pulling yourself together or something that like that in between these moments, stop doing that. Just go from where you are. And I said, I'm not that comfortable having everyone's eyes on me. And then he said, well, then you've picked a strange set of careers for yourself. You're an actor, a teacher, a leader. Part of you wants this. Part of you knows you're meant to be here. And I could feel that he was right. And by this point, I deeply trusted him. So I knew I was going to grow if I did what he said. So we went back into the exercise and I, it was like, uh, what I call the emotional masks that we wear and the energetic armor, I let that all go. And I felt layers of protection melting away as the exercise continued. And, and it was like, I would be crying uncontrollably and someone would come in with like a different improv scene that completely didn't fit with the fact that I was crying. And I would just have to keep on going without trying to pull myself together And by the end of that exercise, I looked out at my classmates and it was like I could see and feel what kind of day each of them was having, what kind of emotional state that they were in. And I I now know that was my first moment of oneness that was not during the acting part. Like I had felt like I would have moments of timelessness and being utterly and completely in the moment in my life while I was acting, this was the first time that happened beyond the acting. And there were a couple of other key, you know, the universe was kind of calling me to go into this. There were some other key moments. And this moment is part of what it really feels like is at the center of how I help people. I help them to be comfortable being seen, to really be present as themselves without the masks, without the energetic armor. And then they unleash their charisma and they become vibrant and alive from head to toe. And they speak in a way that is unique to them. No one else can speak exactly like I can. No one else can speak exactly like you can. And there's a, there, you know, I felt like the universe was kind of guiding me to where I am today. And that is a big one that it's, it's not like he said, you should go be a public speaking coach. And yet that is part of what led me on the path and on the way that I approach public speaking and leadership today. So it sounds like from what you're saying, it's an emotional process. It's not just like, okay, I'll tell you how to speak in front of a crowd, how to be confident, you know, different tactics. It's an emotional process. The way I do it, <laughs> uh, you know, I think our culture really likes to look for the quick fix, the diet pill. Just tell me how to do it. Tell me what to say. Tell me what to wear. And I don't feel like that really works. I feel like I can tell you how to stand in a confident way. And that might help evoke some confidence. But it's really going to help if we go in and excavate what is in the way of your confidence coming out and kind of bring it to the surface and help you actually find your most confident self 
so that you don't feel like an imposter. You you have actually grown your confidence and your ability to be present with other people. And how do you do that? It sounds like, okay, everyone should, should be able to do that, right? It's the magic pill we all need. Yeah, yeah. I, how do I do that? Well, I created, I was doing it very intuitively. And then at some point I was thinking I might teach other people to work in the way that I work, which ended up not happening. Yet in that process, I developed my approach and came up with, you know, a graphic for it and a seven step pathway with a bunch of different tools. And what I'll say about it without like, you know, reading a book to you right now in this moment is that it's integrated or holistic. So there's some stuff that's mind-based, like noticing what are the soul-sucking voices, those inner mm-hmm. critics, get, getting clear on which ones you have so that you know when they're talking and you can choose not to listen to that part of you. Setting an intention for the impact that you want to have when you're speaking and an emotional impact or an energetic impact, which is setting that positive intention is kind of the way of taking the wheel of you. If you are a car and the soul suckers are driving, their attention is on things like, don't screw it up, don't make a mistake, try to pretend you're like everyone else in the room, guess what the room wants and try to say what you think the people in the room with the power might want. And, you know, for you and anybody who's listening to this later, notice what's happening in your body as I'm listing those things. That doesn't evoke confidence in me. It's like making me feel tight and scared. That part of us has a job, which is in part to protect us, to defend against possible danger, but it can send us more into fight, flight, or freeze. And public speaking can do enough of that already because there's that Seinfeld joke we're more afraid of. If we go to a funeral, we're more afraid of being the one giving the eulogy than the one in the casket. We fear public speaking. So if instead we set an intention like, I want to create a feeling of hope in the room. I want to kind of awaken people, enliven them, get their energy up. I want to inspire the people in the room. And then we start looking for signs of a shift from maybe bored or resistant or afraid in our audience members to hope or awake or inspired or energized. That's very different than how our inner critics and soul suckers would do it. So that's the mind part. Then there's a body, breath, and energy piece. And those three really work well together. We've been raised in a world that tells us things like, don't be too big. Don't be too much. Don't take up too much space. Don't be too emotional. And we suppress our emotions by suppressing our breath. And that takes a toll on our physicality. It can make us stand in some kind of stance that isn't the stance of confidence. And it can kind of make our energy smaller, which makes it hard to be heard. It makes it harder for people to be energized by our message. 
So if we align our body, our breath, and our energy with our most expressive self, then the intention comes across more fully. And then the last piece is to invite the audience along for the ride, which really means listening to them as we're talking, listening to their nonverbals, noticing if they're still with us, slowing down if it seems like we've lost half the room, not because we've done anything wrong, but because we might be expressing a new idea that they've never heard before. So we need to slow it down a little bit or speed it up as part of storytelling. And the body, the breath, and the energy in some ways is where the the most time is spent. I'm a huge basketball fan. I love Steph Curry. I'm in San Francisco, California. So one of the metaphors that I use is that it's like in terms of speaking in our voices, we were all born with the speaking version of Steph Curry's three-point shot. And for the people who don't know who he is, he's the best three-point shooter in the world ever. If you don't know and who then, he is, I mean... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we were all born with that shot and then everyone told us to do it differently. So it's about relearning how to breathe and how to speak and make sound the way we actually made sound when we were babies. We didn't have words yet, but when we cried because we were teething, everybody's hair was standing up on end on the other side of the house. So it's getting that back and marrying that to our intention. But how do I start? I mean, I I know that I've been very inconfident in putting myself out there in general. Like you talk about public speaking and in general being a focus of attention. So obviously when you start leading, you are the focus of attention of your team. And I felt very, very insecure, very inconfident. I felt, I don't know, I felt may, maybe everyone is more, is smarter than me. And why would they listen to me? I, I was really insecure. So how do I, how do I even start yeah. when I feel like an imposter? Yeah. So one of the kinds of soul suckers I call the imposter monsters. It's, it's the imposter syndrome to most people. So knowing that one of your soul suckers is going to tell you you're an imposter. One of the things I do with people is let's try to get the root of their message is the root of their message is you're different. They think that you need to hide your differences and pretend to be like everybody else. So if it's you're different because you're not as smart or as experienced, it's like they want you to grab for, and I'm smart and I'm experienced enough mask and speak and lead from there. If the root of the message is you're different, thank goodness you are different. Own your differences as superpowers. If you have a little bit less experience, you also might have a fresh perspective. You are the fresh set of eyes who's not making the old mistakes. You can actually see differently. And in any system, whether it's working in a corporate environment or even in the human body, if my eyeball cells started thinking, oh, I'm not as something or other as the spinal cells, I should try to pretend to be more like them. My system would fail. The eyeball cells need to be eyeballs. The spinal cells need to be spinal cells. 
in your organization or in any group, whether we're talking the world or a corporate system, we need some people with experience and a certain kind of wisdom. We also, like, let's say SAT wisdom or IQ wisdom, we need those people. We also need people with curiosity, a fresh perspective, EQ wisdom, Mm -hmm. emotional intelligence wisdom. We need them all. So the more everyone can say, yes, I'm different. So I'm going to set an intention that's actually in alignment with my strengths, because that's what I'm really going to be gifted at bringing to the room. That's wonderful. And that leads to my next question. How do I know what are my strengths? I mean, I know it sounds kind of obvious, but many women I work with, they're not really aligned to their strength. So let's say I say, okay, I'm in confident, I'm different. And, and I've been in those situations. I feel different from everyone else. I walk yeah. into a, an ego-centered room full of men, each one of them trying to prove they're better or prove that the other person is wrong. And I know I'm different. But yeah. How do I know my strength? What I'm yeah. better? Yeah, that's a great question. And I have two thoughts in my mind for how to get there. The first one is it can be so hard in the beginning to even say the word, my strengths, because it's like the world is testing you and the world is valuing other things. So if you can first come up with a list of your own personal values, so not the organization values, what do you as a person value? Uh, Values are like, like fingerprints. I have a set of my values. If I'm living in a line with them, everything feels right, even though the world may challenge me. If I'm not living in alignment with my values, it's probably going to feel icky. And one of the places to notice them is actually when other people are stepping on your values. If someone irritates you or you're driving on the freeway and something happens to actually go, okay, what value of mine was that person stepping on because clearly I value it. Maybe they don't and, you know, start adding it to your list. So instead of thinking own my strengths, choose a value to honor that day. Going into a meeting, one of my values is respect. Maybe Mm -hmm. it feels like the room could use a little more respect. So whatever happens today, respect is my intention. And that is like my North star. I'm going to bring it into the room. It also probably is then one of your strengths, but at first it can be easier to choose a value. The other pathway is to ask respected friends and colleagues to share what is it that they admire about you? What is it that they think are your strengths that you may not even know are your strengths? Because Everyone else can probably see it in you and not random people in the organization, but trusted friends and colleagues and family members, depending on the relationship, (laughs) you know. Yeah, family members. I mean, that can be tricky. Yeah. Uh, It goes both ways, right? I mean, family members can be the most uh, supportive people. And I'm I'm speaking from you know, very openly, right? Yeah. First-hand experience, they can be the most, the, the strongest supporter for you, but they can also 
bring you down a little bit just because they think differently, not because they're bad people. Yes. Yeah. So people who are trusted in your inner circle where you think they can really see you and they will, it's almost like they're, they're clear enough to be able to hold a mirror up to you and share with you what they see that you may not be seeing. And then this one just popped into my head. I said there were two. The third one is sometimes it's helpful to go hire a coach who's not loaded with any friendship or family or organizational things. They will often see things in you. My first coach saw things in me that I was not seeing in myself at the time. And you know, 15 years later, I'm like, wow, (laughs) I am the person that she knew was in there back then. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. And I'm a strong believer in values. And as you mentioned, a lot of times people who irritate us are, they are just conflicting to our values. Yes. Another great uh, strategy is to kind of uh, think about what would you be willing to pay for a value, pay not monetary necessarily, or what are you not willing to do, no matter what. And that a lot of times is related to values. For example, if someone say, I would never lie, right? No matter what, even if someone, you know, is willing to pay me, whatever, it Mm -hmm. means that this person, you know, really value the truth and honesty is super important to them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. And, and the strength part. Yeah. This is sometimes you need extra help. I'm with you on that. Sometimes you need someone external to tell you, yes, this is a strength of yours. Yeah. 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 Especially if you're in a world that isn't valuing that strength that you have. Um, It's kind of a weird catch 22 because you might be in an environment that has no curiosity No one in the room is valuing curiosity and curiosity might be one of your superpowers. So imagine a meeting with 12 people around one of those boardroom tables. And let's say four of the people in the room are taking up all of the airspace going, I think this is best. I think this is best. And there's maybe four other people in the room who are kind of being quiet and not being curious and asking the questions that would help lead to the innovation that that group of people needs. So it's it's kind of a catch-22 because you have to realize curiosity is your superpower in the middle of an environment that doesn't have it. But that's exactly what that environment might need from you in that moment. So how do you get the courage? Because it takes a lot of courage to be a different and to start bringing something that no one else, maybe no one else have, and it's not the norm and no one, no one is used to that. How do you get yeah. the courage to do that? Yeah, I feel like one of the strongest ways to dial up the courage to make a smooth transition to showing up with courage in that public world is to find small groups that are safe where you can start to grow your presence and be your uniquely weird, wacky self and be accepted and admired and valued and like have a room full of people going, yes, yes, that's the real you. From that, your body and your neural pathways shift. It's like you 
you shift into your Steph Curry three-point shot. You know how to do it in that small, intimate group. And then the leap to doing it out in the, the public space is easier than if you're trying to grow your courage at home alone or even growing your courage one-on-one with a coach. It is possible to go from one-on-one with a coach to courage in the world. And I feel like, you know, there's by yourself, there's one-on-one with a coach, there's small group, and then there's the real world. That's kind of like you're growing it without as huge of a leap into the lion's den, so to speak. Yeah, and I usually, what I like to uh, kind of say is that you should be scared, but not terrified. So basically, you should be a little bit scared. It should be uncomfortable, but not terrifying. Yes, yeah, I feel I feel that way about any time we use our voice. It's both a vulnerable and a courageous act. And it's probably gonna feel more like you're on a thrilling roller coaster ride then you're sitting on your couch watching television. I loved it. There's an energy to like, oh, this is scary. Oh, now it's thrilling because we're on the downhill slope. Yeah. For sure. And I think that um, to define what is scary and what is terrifying and where where is the right kind of uh, proof of concept for you or the safe zone, it's really up to each person to decide. It, it is probably different for, for every person. Yeah. And it is a great, that's a great inquiry to go off and kind of live with in your life is noticing for ourselves, what does it feel like physically and energetically when it's terror, when it really is hard no. <laughs> I have a friend who's like, that's a hard no. What does it feel like when it's a hard no? And what does it feel like when it's, when it's fear and it requires some courage and it's actually it's a yes that's a thrilling roller coaster ride yes i know what it feels like for me and like you said i think everybody else it's it's helpful to know what does it feel like so when your mind is trying to make decisions you can kind of go wait a minute my body is doing that thing that says this is an absolute no oh My mind is a little scared or a lot scared. My body is giving me the signal that this is a scary yes. Yeah. And uh, usually your intuition is right. So you need to listen to your intuition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Former manager once told me that. He said like, you have it. You got it. You have an intuition. Just use it. Yes. Yes. Which wonderful manager. Because intuition is one of those things that doesn't tend to be as valued in the corporate world. I think it's shifting a bit because there are some models in our society who did things different, you know, people who have grown their companies to be huge and successful have talked about intuition, have talked about everybody said I should do this. So rationally, I should have chosen the path to the left. But my gut said, take the path to the right. And now I have a Fortune 500 company. Yeah, and it doesn't always result in Fortune 500 companies, but sometimes it results just in your inner kind of feeling that you're doing the right thing. Yes. Yeah. Which that's what's most important. The the thing about the Fortune 500 companies is that just in the last, I've been in business for 15 years or a little more. There weren't 
any examples of people talking about intuition. It was all left brain and formulas and who's got an MBA. So now at least there are some major people out there talking about intuition. And then of course, there's people like us talking about it in podcasts so that the value of intuition is kind of rising from within as well. Absolutely. I'm a huge believer in intuition. I actually had an episode uh, with another guest just talking about intuition, the entire episode. So I I really believe it is in, important to mm-hmm. nurture it yes. and, and grow it because your intuition becomes better as you practice it, like everything. Yeah, it's it's a muscle. So if you work it, it'll become stronger. It also feels like if we don't listen to that part of us, it stops talking. Just like if I were talking to you trying to get your attention and you weren't listening to me, eventually I might stop talking to you. I think our intuition, it it can become quiet because it doesn't think we're listening anymore. So when we listen to it and we act on it and we speak things that it's kind of saying, say this now, then it talks to us even more. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, I mean, I can't believe that we already, the time passed so quickly. So with that, I would just want to kind of uh, leave our audience with how they can reach you and what do you have going on right now? Yeah, the the easiest way to reach me is to go to my website, voice-matters.com. And if you're into socials, you can scroll to the bottom of the page and they're all there. (laughs) I just can never remember what my handles are. And my baby right now is something called the Speaker's Studio. I grew up watching the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, which was all about the studio in New York that was formed in 1947 to give actors a safe space to work on their craft away from the outside world. So no Broadway casting directors, no Hollywood casting directors allowed It's a private safe space. And as I looked around for a similar space for sensitive visionaries, ambitious empaths and loving rebels, I feel like we need that kind of a space. And I didn't find it anywhere. And a space like that, the sideways acting studio in San Francisco is that space that, you know, gave me my huge being seen and oneness moment. It was really the catalyst for me being who I am today. So I decided to build it and I named it the Speaker's Studio. Sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Lori, for being here today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And I will make sure to put all the links uh, on the show notes. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of From a Woman to a Leader this is your host, Limor Bergman Gross, and I want to encourage you to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Limor Bergman, and let me know what do you think about the episodes. Feel free also to comment on Apple Podcasts and tell me what do you want me to talk about? Which guests do you want me to bring? I really appreciate that and have a wonderful day.